thank you for listening to this programme from the Forever Manchester Radio and Podcast Network. Forever Manchester is a charity that raises money to fund and support community activity across Greater Manchester. Check out forevermanchester.com to find out more. Let me tell you a bit about the people of Manchester. We're about not being kept down. We're about celebrating everything this wonderful city has given and has to give. We're about being laid back, but in your face. We're about looking after our own and not leaving anyone behind. Once Manchester, forever Manchester. And now's your chance to show it. A charity run by the people of Manchester for the people of Manchester. Help ordinary people do extraordinary things. See forevermanchester.com. I've pinched this introduction (laughs) off the interweb, but it's interesting because there's loads of stuff here that we can kick off with. So, with me now is Jackie Ward. And Jackie is a best-selling author from Manchester who can boast a wealth of knowledge and lots of life experiences. Not only is Jackie a great author, she's been an auditor. Am I right? Yes. A barmaid. (laughs) Yes. A hot dog stand worker. That's right. (laughs) A dancer. Yes. An ice skater. Yes, very short career in ice skating. <laughs> She's crewed tankers, Yes, been a garage attendant, stack shelves at the co-op, been a caterer, a market trader selling knickers. That's right. <laughs> an event organiser, a model, mm-hmm. and much more than that. Jackie is also a chartered psychologist and a chartered scientist, as well as being a researcher and an MBE. Yes, that's right. So can I say, welcome Thank you. That is some introduction, that isn't it? <laughs> Before we get into any of that, which is all fascinating, and I might actually have to touch on your best story from being a hot dog stand worker. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Manchester born and bred, Greater Mancunian. So I was born in Oldham, um, at the Oldham Hospital, and my grandparents came from Ashton Underline. Um, I lived with my grandparents for about five years while my parents worked, and during that time, um, my grandma brought me to Manchester quite a lot because her parents lived in Ancorts. So I had an early sort of introduction to Manchester. Um, I lived in Oldham uh, most of my life, but I made regular visits to Manchester quite early because I was a big fan of music in the 70s era of David Cassidy, Donny Osmond. I used to come with my friends to the Free Trade Hall and see them. Right. So although I lived in Oldham, I spent probably a lot of time in Manchester. <laughs> Brilliant. Was the city a big attraction to you back in the, what was it, 70s? It was the 70s, yeah, so, so probably from about 71 onwards. And I used to hang about at the underground market, buy clothes from there. I was very interested in shops and music. <laughs> that right. was my main yeah, interest it. up till then. Um, but that all came to a halt when I was 16 and I had my first child. Right. So, I mean, that's got a bearing on the rest of my life because quite a lot of my interest in everything stopped then and it was very focused on my daughter and then my second daughter. But I didn't stop coming to Manchester. Um, I spent, still spent a lot of time there with my children. Tell us about school. <laughs> Tell me, what's your memories of your school days? I went to Blue Court School um, in Oldham. I was very, very sweaty. I was very interested in maths, ironically, because then I became a writer. So um, I think it was my dad's influence. Um, He he wanted me to to be a maths teacher, but um, I had other ideas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would have rather have done English, but um, that led me into auditing. Right. Um, I left school at 16, um, went straight into work in an accountant's office, and then went to work at a youth training workshop. So earlier than that, just flash back a bit, I started to go to, um, when I was about probably 12, I started to go to Altringham Ice Rink every Sunday, and I got spotted. Uh, I learned really quickly. I was very interested in ice skating, um, 
very interested in um, all the people around it. You know, they were very, very sort of enigmatic people and it really attracted me. So I got spotted and I was just on the verge of, of sort of wanting to do it, you know, as it was kind of... A career? Uh, yeah, a career. Um, when unfortunately I broke my ankle and by the time my ankle had healed, um, I'd grown two or three inches. You have to be a certain height um, and I was too tall. Has it sort of got the same sort of rules as ballet? Yeah. Whereas if you're not quite fit into the... Absolutely. If yeah. you don't look the part, you can't be the part. Yeah. And I wasn't then. By the time I was in my teens and I changed from like a, a smallish you know, girl to I was growing into a woman. Right. And that didn't really fit, no. you know, what they wanted. So I couldn't do it. It was quite disappointing, really. But I still did it as a hobby. Yeah. You know, I still kept in touch with What about it. sport at school? Were you, were you sporty? Not at all. <laughs> I hated no? sport. Did you? Um, I hated cross country in particular. Yeah. Um, and I hated uh, rounders. But I did do modern educational dance and I loved the uh, Kate Bush vibe so around 1978 I was really into my modern educational dance <laughs> and then um, afterwards uh, I, I became a semi-professional dancer um, I trained a little, a little bit in dancing because dancing is very much like ice skating right. you know in, in terms of uh, creativity in particular um, and I did some dancing but again I had children and I hadn't really found myself at that point I don't think right okay well that was your, your ice skating career done and it dusted it was unfortunately yeah <laughs> I still look at it on the telly now and think that could have been me. <laughs> so well, your first job, you said it was an auditor. Yeah. Take us very briefly through your your working life. Right, how so... Do you, I'm t- what I'm going to try to lead you to now is how, do you get into, how did you end up in writing? Okay. Because I don't think that there's a natural no, there really progression isn't. there, is there? So I worked in auditing um, and then I got semi-qualified in auditing and then I changed jobs to work at a youth training workshop, training accounts rather than doing accounts because I found like working with people a lot more interesting. Um, and then... I worked in different offices and audit. You know, I use. I I wanted to try and expand my career as an auditor into working as a management accountant, and I ended up um, living in Cyprus and working in um, Iron Keel uh, ship building. Um, they they built chemical tankers and then they managed the chemical tankers. So I, I started off um, doing the accounts for them. I ended up doing the crewing, and that was absolutely fantastic. But every night when I was in Cyprus, I lived in a little village called Limassol and it should have been idyllic. <laughs> it was in a lot of ways. I, I swam in the sea every lunchtime. My office was right on the seafront at Limassol. But every night I dreamt about the Arndale and I could not wait to get back home to Manchester. And when I got back, I kind of realised that I needed to do something in the city. You know, I needed to work in the city and be here. And it was the first time really in my life that I was ever aware that you could love something other than people. And I've, I, I realised that I really love Manchester. <laughs> I know it sounds a bit corny, but I did. Mm, I did. Yeah. And it kind of grew from there. So I got, I got a job in um, on Piccadilly Approach, managing a charity. Right. And I'm still working that job now. That was many, many years ago. Okay. Um, I was also um, getting divorced. Right. And I, w- I met some other people who were divorced and I learned a lot about um, domestic violence. So I became involved in charitable work for domestic violence. So one day, me being me, I'd written a proposal for a book about domestic violence and I walked into um, a publisher's office. I knocked on the door. I didn't know you had to, to send proposals and things like that. And I said, you know, I've written this, this proposal. We have a look at it. And they said, well, are you qualified? So I said, no, I'm not. I've just done some charity work. They went, well, come back when you're qualified. I've never understood that of you. No. So what I did, I went and got a PhD right. <laughs> in uh, identity construction and storytelling. 
So that was a long journey, probably a bit too long for today, but um, so it was on the journey to writing. So during that PhD, I did narrative psychologist because I, I became a, a chartered psychologist. Um, and I, st- I still continue to work with um, victims of domestic violence and missing people. So about probably four years into the PhD, I decided, um, well, I didn't decide, it was part of the research, I started to think that maybe a non-fiction book wasn't the way forward, you know, f- to get that message out there, because there were a lot of non-fiction books on domestic violence. So I decided that what I would do is write, my target was to write five novels about identity construction and different aspects of it. Wow. Um, that was wow and right at the <laughs> same time then. Wow, I came out. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that was my, that was my target. So I'll, I finished my PhD in 2007 and I published the textbook, which was the book I wanted to write initially. So I reached that goal and then set my new goal, the five novels. And did you ever go back to the publisher? I didn't go back to the same publisher. No. I went back to a different publisher. Received Have you ever been back to that publisher and said, I'm qualified I've now? written to them, yeah, and told them. Right. And I didn't get a response. <laughs> it's a weird one, isn't it? Because how can you be qualified to be creative? Exactly. Anyway, <laughs> let's move it on. You, you've, you've, there's one or two threads that are already beginning to appear in your story. Mm. The fascination with people and yeah. characters back mm. at Altrincham Ice Rink. Yeah. And then their fascination with the psychology of... So it might have been that the threads of where you're going to go were already there and playing on your mind before you even... You may have even subconsciously gone down that road. Would that be a fair assumption? I think it is. I think when we talked about the hot dog working and also I worked in a garage. So I, when, I, when I worked... I was, in, was still in my teens when I worked serving hot dogs, but I liked people watching. It was at Alexandra Park in Oldham. In the boating house, there was a hot dog standing there, and I, I liked it. I like clothes, and I like going to Manchester to buy the clothes. So obviously, I needed some money to do that. Yeah. So I got a Saturday job and then a Sunday job. But I used to sit behind the counter, people watching, and I was interested in characters even then. And then when I came to work in a garage, I mean, I was very, like, very poor, single parent with three children. So I took a job, and some nights it was uh, seven till eleven, and people used to just come in and throw the money over the counter very impersonal very kind of you know objectified me as just somebody to be have money thrown at but the best thing about it was it was a lot of negatives in that job but the best thing about it was you saw people when they were off the guard mm-hmm. so not in the normal you know when they've got the, the the guard up and the face on and i found that really interesting tell me about identity construction right. that's <laughs> that's a fascinating little two words that yeah is it a bit academic or is it just a, a good way of summarizing something or it's the way we're made up so everybody's unique everybody's okay. got their own um identity some of it is is on is external and some of it is internal and during my phd i developed a model um which was sort of the inner self the relational self you know the which is the interpersonal self with other people and the external self and how they link up to make who we are but in everyday terms it's just kind of the overarching narratives in society that you take on as a person you talk about to other people and then you internalize and how that makes you so that's what i studied and so it makes that characterization in writing a lot easier so it's like your ingredients yes it is it's all the things that make you what you are yeah and also it's how you can change them so the psychology part of it is how you can identify that through storytelling and look at your own story or somebody else can look at your story and sort of pull apart those aspects of it and give you some guidance on how to change it sounds fantastic doesn't it it's really interesting 
Tell me about women's matters, women's rights. Does that play a part in...? Yes, I am a huge feminist. I definitely am. I've always been a feminist. It's, I think feminist is, is a kind of loaded word for a lot of women, you know, because they, they associate it with a certain stereotype of woman. And I am not that stereotype. I'm very sort of outgoing and, I hope, feminine. Um, and, I, you know, I, I, yes, I have worn high heels and things like that, you know, and I've got no qualms about saying that because I believe that feminism is about choice and freedom. So rather than, in my early years, rather than call myself a feminist, I think I was, like everyone, on a journey, you know, where where, um, you're restricted as as a kind of teenager. And then as you grow older, you start to see that choice and freedom come about and who isn't letting you be free and who isn't letting you choose. And I think a big part of life is recognising that. Now, that's where, that's what's led me to feminism. Because I've I've recognised sort of in the workplace and in in the university even, you know, where the opportunities aren't equal, not just for women, you know, but for other minorities minorities as well well we're not minorities but um yeah but you know the other people who um don't get a fair deal out of life so what i've tried to do is hone my charity work into that particularly into domestic violence which i think you know ever since the funding cuts has just gone worse and worse Mm -hmm. okay so when it comes to writing Mm. i'm picking up the verb that like you you might use understanding of identity and people and characters and personalities and the fight for well it's not it's not a fight it's just a recognition of a modern feminist approach all coming together to actually form the stories and the characters that are the themes of your writing would that be an an assumption a writing um first person present tense so it's kind of um very close psychic distance and um it's almost stream of consciousness sometimes um and i do that for a reason i can write in third person but i do it for a reason because then you're really getting under the character's skin um and i feel like the work that i've done in identity construction really comes out you know in that way also um I i read a book by uh john york because um, I do screenwriting as well, so I was interested in what he thought. And on one of the first pages, he said, "Be the avatar," you know. So be that person, and do. It's almost like method writing, mm-hmm. if you like. But the characters that I write are, are not. A lot of people say, "Is it you? Is it is it you?" When I go, "No, it's definitely not me." They're all fictional characters, but identity construction does help me. And they're kind of a collection of things that I've seen in life. Do you have to become them? Do you find yourself when you're in the middle of writing a book then taking over your world, your life? I do wake do you start up in the middle of like the night. Your character and, and no, I, don't, I still don't start acting like them, but I think I wake <laughs> up in the middle of the night. I, well, I hope not in my, in my current book <laughs> because she's she's not. I, I would say that she's um, she's not one of you passive women in literature. <laughs> Let's oh, put it that way. Okay. But I do wake up in the middle of the night and the characters speak to me. Sometimes as well when I'm walking along, if I think of something, I phone myself, I phone my landline and leave a message, you know, so in that way, yeah. But I wouldn't say that I became the character. <laughs> you wouldn't, right. Listen, what? how many books have you published? Is that is there a lot out there? Is there, Have you got a favourite? Was it the first piece you wrote back in the day? That... Yeah, so it's... <laughs> So like everyone, I've had a few false starts, you know, I think pub- there's, a, there's a perception of publishing where people think, oh, brilliant, this is the first book and they published it, fantastic, overnight success, but it really isn't like that. So I've been writing all my life. Um, I wrote a book back in probably the 80s, which um, which is what started me off because I sent it to an agent and they gave me a bit of encouragement and it'd been in my mind all that time, you know, to write books. So eventually after my PhD, I wrote a book called Smart Yellow that was published by Elsewhere Press and I think that is my favourite book and everybody who read it back then they all said that should be a film you know and and things like that and then after that I got an agent and she um, took on a 
the first in a detective series, uh, DS Jampiers, Random Acts of Unkindness, but she didn't manage to sell it. So I entered a competition in, in America called Kindle Scout and won it, and that was published, and that became a bestseller as well. And then I wrote two more in that series. Um, but I knew in my own mind that they weren't my breakthrough novels. So I, want, I still had this desire to be traditionally published. Right. So I'd call myself a hybrid author because I've, I've, I've done all of the kinds of publishing you can think of. Um, right. <laughs> because Mainly because I'm motivated, you know, and I'm not really afraid to put myself forward, I don't think. Like, some authors are, are a bit quiet and think, oh, traditional publishing is the only thing we want, but I've enjoyed all of it. There's a stereotype of them, isn't there? They sort of, I imagine that they're locked away. I think one a common thing with authors is that, and a bit a bit with myself, but not as much because I work in a charity, so I've got to have a voice, and I've also done like academic work. But I think a lot of authors, the they're better at writing than they are at speaking, and I'm I'm a bit like that. I've got to say, I feel like that inside, you know, that I express myself a lot better through the medium of um, writing than I do from talking. Basically, <laughs> but I think I think I'd say ninety percent of the authors I've met are like that. Are you glad you came back to Manchester? I'm absolutely delighted. I cannot tell you how much. It, it was like a... When I worked in that little office above at Piccadilly, I was in a bad place. Um, I'd just come out of a, a marriage and I was lonely. Um, I was a single parent, so I wasn't going out at all. I was just working, going home, looking after my kids, which was great. But I did sort of miss, you know, people, basically. And I used to look out of the window over on Piccadilly and think, my life's waiting for me out there. And then one day I just thought, I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to get out there. But what can I do? But there was so much to do in Manchester. And I talked to people and they said, just go out and find things. There's so much. But I'd always like thought it was, it was just like shopping and music. You know, but it really isn't. There's hidden treasures. There's libraries everywhere. You know, there's little cafes where you can go and sit in and write if you want to, or just even think. There's great architecture, the, which we don't. I don't think we realise when we're younger. No, well, quite recently I've been doing a hashtag on Instagram called Look Up, and I've been taking pictures of the Manchester rooftops and saying Look Up because it's fantastic. Mm. I go. I work in London quite a lot as well, and it's, I think that um, it's it's entirely different to London. You know, it's got a different vibe altogether. It is completely different. Um, like Manchester's my spiritual home and most of the modern world comes from here yeah <laughs> i also love manchester music yeah, so, who do you like so well obviously i like i like the storm roses i like james i like all of it i just love it and i i, I know um when i was sort of in my 30s and my kids were a bit more grown up and i got a bit more confidence you know because i was really under confidence at one time because of different things um i started to go out again and you know and I start, we started to go out with my friends and it was it was just brilliant. You know, everything about it was so empowering and fascinating in a lot of ways. And there's no people like Manchester people. <laughs> there certainly aren't. <laughs> now then, you got an MBE. I did. And what was that for? So it was services to vulnerable people. Okay. So it's partly to do with my work in safety because the charity that I work for works with major hazards and I've done quite a lot of work for them. And it was partly for my work with domestic violence survivors. Okay. So um, when the letter, I'd just come back from Aberdeen when the letter came through the letterbox and um, my partner gave it to me went, oh, this looks important. And I thought, oh, it's a bill. And I opened it and it said, you know, you've got an MBA, don't tell anybody. Mm. <laughs> and the next morning, first of all, they accused him of, um, and my daughter's are playing a joke on me. And then I phoned Buckingham Palace and said, I think you've made a mistake. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. That's the way and to do went, it. No, it's you. Yeah, that's the way so to do it. fast forward six months and I'm studying Buckingham Palace with Adele. Um, 
<laughs> that sounds weird, but um, you wait, you've got a kind of waiting time before you go up to get your MBA um, and to get you in a room and show you how to curtsy and bow and things like that. And I was standing in a group with Adele and it was, we ended up talking about, a, a group of about four ladies talking about creativity. And what we were talking about, how would you get that idea that's successful? How would you get that one thing, like in Adele songs, you know, that really resonates with everybody? Because um, that song, Hello, there's not one person who doesn't know what that's about, but it kind of means different things to them. So I'm interested in keying in to that. So were you chatting yeah. to Adele about this? Well, she was in the group and she sort of put a two-penny thing, if you like. <laughs> and and what, what we all came up with between us was it's emotions, you know, deep emotions. And you've got to, what you've got to do is look for that deep emotion that everyone can identify with. And some of it is, is confusing because love is one thing but it can mean a lot of things to different people. So what you're really searching for is something a bit more honed in than love, you know, and hates and things like that. Um, so I've, I've come up with, like, a list of these things that I want to write about that I think are really deep human emotions. And I've looked at a lot of Adele's writing, you know, because she's, she's very, very good at picking that out. I'm going to start to have a look at some of this back catalogue here mm. and I'm not talking about books I'm talking about jobs so you can give us your favourite stories of <laughs> being a barmaid I've been a barmaid in a lot of places I started off my barmaid career at uh, Funnies on Huddersfield um, Road in Oldham it was brilliant my partner at the time was a DJ there so I worked behind the bar I had a really good time again getting to know people talking chatting and I think a lot of the characters that you know are in my books might be those people how did you end up being a tanker crew member? <laughs> well, I worked, I worked in ship management, you know, in Cyprus. And at first I was doing the accounts and then an opportunity came up to go on the ships and visit all the ports and make sure that everyone was doing the job, basically, you know, on the, on the tankers. So I was very, very lucky because I got to spend a lot of time in the Middle East, you know, at the different ports. And actually some of them now uh, have been destroyed in the wires, you know, which is really sad. But at the time, it was a brilliant opportunity for me. Fantastic, in fact. Listen, it's been fantastic. I'm going to finish with three little questions. Okay. Favourite Manchester building? The Arndale. <laughs> that you won that you dreamt of yeah. back in the day. Favourite Manchester band you might have already mentioned? Uh, Storm Roses. Favourite Mancunian? Um, Emmeline Pankhurst. Ooh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I've done a lot of work recently with uh, the, the Pankhurst Centre. And I didn't really know a lot about her, our family. But I've looked, um, or the, I think it was a sister who was an artist. And you know, they just, they had, just recently had a, um, an exhibition at the Manchester Art Gallery. But I've really got to know um, what they were about and how they started. And it, it was a really kind of normal, everyday thing, what's been made into something legendary. It was legendary, but it started at very small beginnings, and I love that. And finally, finally, you have a book coming out. Oh, yeah. It's called Perfect Ten. It's called Perfect Ten, and it's about a woman called Caroline Atkinson. And we meet Caroline at a lowest ebb. Um, she's just come out of a really bad marriage. Um, she's sitting in a house, very, very depressed. And then her ex-husband's luggage gets delivered. He's been abroad and it gets delivered. And in that luggage, she finds a diary. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Jackie Ward, thank you very much for coming to talk to us. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of Forever Manchester Meets, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and like and subscribe us with a nice five-star review. If you want to find out more about Forever Manchester and the work that we do in Greater Manchester, please check us out at forevermanchester.com or follow us on the usual social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are at Forever Manchester. Nice one.